Welcome to Co-Pilots, the podcast where we watch not just the first episode of a show, but also the second. Some shows just don't have the best pilot episode, and giving it that second chance might just change your mind. Here, we take that chance for you and let you know our opinion on if a show is worth more than just one shot. I'm Justice. Alongside me is my co-pilot, Josh. Now, let's get ready for takeoff. Your in-flight entertainment this week will be... Surreal Estate. Specifically, sci-fi's Surreal Estate. State is a 2021 sci-fi comedic horror drama series. Yeah, that sounds right. Let's go with that. So a dramedy with hints of horror. Yeah. Episode one is entitled Pilot. Is this our first pilot in a minute? I, I think it is our first pilot in a minute. Yeah. We've had a few other shows that haven't had names for their episode ones, but they haven't called it pilot either. They just didn't use a naming system. Which is lame. Agreed. Anyways, the show opens on a person walking in the rain. They have a trench coat and a hat and it's very spookums and a briefcase at their side the hat's kind of a chubby it feels very much like an homage to the opening of like the exorcist with the way they're shooting the scene oh that makes sense i've never seen the exorcist yeah it it felt very much like that which isn't surprising because i mean we're talking a horror show and he walks up to a house that has a for sale by owner sign Mm-hmm. And then we cut to a woman, probably in the house, mm-hmm. and she's sitting in a chair listening to some nice atmospheric creepy music. Yeah. The song in question is Cage Without a Key by Jill Barber. Song's dope, actually. Yeah. And uh, she is reading a medical and anatomy book. A very old one, it seems, just from looking at the book. It's a, sur- it's a book about surgeries. Yeah, yeah. And it looks to be an older one, given the picture and the coloration of the pages. Then there's a power surge. The music st- cuts out. Yep. And so she gets up, walks over to the, I guess, like, iPod or MP3 that's stuck into a, like, stereo system. Yeah. And puts the song back on, goes back to sit down. There's a power surge again. And while she's sitting there, she's looking at this book, and the picture on the page, instead of a just cadaver or random body on the surgical table, she starts seeing herself in the picture. And then she sees the operating doctor in the picture turn to look at her. So she freaks and throws the book on the floor. And then there's another power surge. The power goes out. The fireplace shoots flames out at her, trying to grab her. Yeah. And she runs out of the house. Screaming. And and right into the arms of our trench coat wearing, trilby wearing, briefcase carrying real real estate estate agent. agent. His name's Luke Roman. And she's like, are you a priest? And he goes, I'm the real estate guy. Yeah. And then we cut to the opening, which I have a major complaint about this opening, Justice. Yeah, I mean, one, it's fucking great. The music is amazing. It starts with this with these really nice guitar chords. It hits these strings, and then the drums start to come in, and you start to get hyped up, and then it's done. Yeah, that's my complaint. It's 10 seconds. This should have been like a minute-long opening. It's so good. I think the biggest offender for this, actually, is the fact that they put the drums in right there, and you literally have this building tempo with the drums, and then we end it. I 100% agree. That is the biggest issue with the, the opening, is it starts to build, and then it just ends. Yeah, so when we come back from the 10-second intro, Luke, our real estate man, and this woman, her name is Megan. Megan Donovan. Are sitting at a diner, and uh, they're kind of just talking about what the fuck just happened. Yeah, she tells him that her fiancé is on the way to pick her up, and in the meantime, he explains to her the idea of stigmatized property, which is property that, through no fault of its own, has a stigma on it. Mm-hmm. Rather, it's because people believe it's the residence of spirits, or there's been murder there, or suicide 
suicide or other violent acts. And through these things, this property has become stigmatized and thus will experience a 35% decrease in market value and may take up to 317% longer to sell. Yeah. And the entire time he's talking about this, she's like, are you saying my house is haunted? And he's like, no, I didn't say that. I said it's stigmatized or people may believe they're haunted. He actively avoids calling things haunted and using the word ghosts or anything so, like so that. So you mean there's ghosts in my house? I, I never use the G word. Yeah. And at a point, it seems like she's trying to convince him that ghosts are real. And he's just like, look, I may believe that. It doesn't matter. But you you said you've been up a while. You were studying. You've been drinking. You know that's not true. And so like, so yeah. it goes from her trying to convince him ghosts are real to him convincing her they aren't. And she's just like, yeah, what, what am I doing? Ghosts aren't real. Yeah, so he eventually gives her his card and is like, hey, we should take another look at this in the light of day. Things could look different in the light of day. Yep. Yeah. And she leaves when her lawyer boyfriend shows up. Fiance. Yes. I mentioned his occupation because it's the butt of a few jokes later. So the next day we cut to the Roman agency where they're talking about the Donovan house. Mm-hmm. It is Luke Roman and he has three other people there working with him. We have Augustus Ripley. Or known as Augie. Who is the IT guy and seems to speak in quotes. Yeah. At least at this point in the show. Yeah. Turns out it's not his entire dialogue, but it is a large portion of it, actually. We also meet Phil, a former priest. And he is the research guy. He looks up things about the property, the people, the history of the land. And then we meet Zoe, the office manager. Yeah, you yeah. know, she manages schedules. Also, we should mention that we get introduced to all these people, not through, like, lame generic exposition, but because there's a new member of the team. Mm-hmm. She's a award-winning real estate agent named Susan Ireland. Yes. They basically scalped her from one of the best real estate companies in the city. Yeah. In the initial part of this meeting, that we do learn that the Donovan house, that Ma- Megan's house, was inherited from her grandfather. Yes. They're going to run a a bunch of paranormal tests on it, is their plan. And we also learn about another Par- property that they're in charge of at the moment. Psychokinetic triage is what yes. they call it. Yes. Um, when they run these tests on these houses. And we learn that they also have another property currently that came back with nothing on their malevolent energy check. So it has zero ME, and they're confused by it, and none of them want to have to tell the real estate agent who referred them. Whose name is Rita Weiss. Yeah. So apparently in this setting for the world, they they do go out and scout their own businesses, uh, as shown with Megan, but they also are referred to properties by other real estate agents, which implies every real estate agent, or almost every real estate agent, knows hauntings are real. They just may not dabble in that part of the industry. Okay, so I don't know if that's true, because two things. One, Luke mentions that they're the only real estate company in essentially the world that does this type of work. And two, we know mm. Rita doesn't believe in this shit. She just, basically, she just thinks they're con men that can, like, help facilitate a sell when weird stuff happens. Okay, maybe. I don't know. That's the way Rita comes across. I mean, Rita just comes across like a kind of shitty person. Yes. So, anyways, though, so we get introduced to Susan here. She walks around, meets everyone. No one really seems to care too much. Mm-hmm. And then we're in a car with her and Luke driving to... Mm, you skipped a whole bunch of stuff. No, I didn't. But Roman gets a call from Megan, and he steps out of the office, leaving Susan with the established members of the Roman agency. And S- Megan's called him because she's like, so I talked to my fiance, and we don't need your help. Ghosts and shit aren't real. Uh, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I never said ghosts were real. I just said your house was stigmatized. But she's like, yeah, we still don't need your help. Yeah. So Susan's left alone with Phil and Augie and Zoe, and she's not really aware that they deal with haunted houses. She just thinks this is another real estate company, essentially, that specializes in selling houses that nobody else can sell. I I just didn't know this part. And part of her appeal to come to this company, the Roman agency, is that Luke Roman himself is kind of an enigma and nobody knows anything about him. Yeah. And then, then we jump to the car. 
I mean, if you want to go through everything that happens here, Luke talks to Susan, tells Susan that technically they're fired at the moment from that house, but they're going to operate like they aren't. And he also goes to show her a video that we never see, and then we're in the car, and he's explaining everything that I have to assume was already explained in the video about what they do. It's not a video. It's a presentation. He said it as a video presentation. Anyways, while we're in the car, he's driving to the house that isn't the Donovan house. The Lenore house. He tells her that the New York Supreme Court ruled that haunted houses are real so far as the stigma can result in lower property values and make houses harder to sell. Roman explains to Susan as he is taken around to one of the properties that this means that even though ghosts may not be real, haunted houses definitely are. Yeah, we also learn that Susan didn't actually quit her job over there. She was fired after a a year-long relationship with her boss. And after a small office fire Mm -hmm. at her previous job. Yeah. And she was fired after she had a year-long affair with her boss, and then her boss renewed his vows with his wife. And Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. We're not sure if it was Trinidad or Tobago, but it was there. The country of. Yeah. But we're not sure which island. Yep. Anyways, they arrive at the Lenore house, the house referred to them by Rita. And she's just rude to them right out of the gate for no real reason. And I feel like that's just a bad movie, especially because she does it directly in front of the clients. Yeah, well, the, t- the teenage daughter of the clients. He's been um, Roman yeah. and Susan arrive at the place, they knock on the door, and a teenage girl answers it, and they're like, hey, are your parents home? And then Rita's like, oh, there you are, finally, taking your sweet time. Yeah, and she also just insults Luke. I don't remember what her exact insult was. Yep. Elsewhere, though, Phil is researching the historical documentation of the Donovan house. And he can't find any records before 1987. Even though the house is supposedly over 100 years old. Yeah, he just legitimately cannot find a thing about it, though. And that plot point will never be resolved in this entire episode. Yeah. And then we see Augie outside the Donovan house, and he is looking through amber glass. Some weird binoculars. Yeah, using they appear to be using an ember glass in them, which makes sense with some spiritual beliefs and ideologies about ways to view spirits that don't He's use got technology. Some weird binoculars. Yeah, and there's just a fuck ton of spirits covering this house. Like, they're all over the fucking place. And he could see them with his weird binoculars. Anyways, at the Lenore house... Were they binoculars? I was fairly certain they were the glasses he was wearing that then had, like, the... No, he has the glasses. He has or, the glasses Or do both later, of them do that? But when he's staking out the, the Donovan house, Oh, yeah, he house, uses he the binoculars, binoculars then, but then he has the glasses that do the exact same thing. Well, yeah, but the glasses don't zoom. Yes, they do. Zoom, zoom, zoom. The one lens literally has the zoomy bits on it that you can rotate. Okay, but it doesn't zoom as much or with both eyes. You don't know that it doesn't zoom as much. We just know it doesn't do both eyes. And both eyes are really for a depth perception thing, which you're not going to be using so much when you're really, really far away, especially since he's just trying to know how many ghosts there are, not how close the ghosts are grouped together or anything. So, Anyways, back at the Lenore house, Roman is explaining that despite the signs of a poltergeist, there is no malevolent energy to suggest a poltergeist. No history to suggest a poltergeist. And that, in general, most poltergeist hauntings are not benevolent but like don't really result in injuries they're just they're They're not malignant yeah they're just annoying but because they still don't know what's causing it they're gonna try to see if they can dig up anything on the area and previously up until uh, 1851 because they've gone all the way back to 1851 with their documents and have found nothing bad has happened in this area this land was developed 12 years ago there's no negative history here and all the way back while they're talking through this the teenage daughter comes in and she's like, can I go out tonight? 
And her parents are like, no. Grandma might be coming over and she's like, I hate your mother. God. No, it's both their grandparents. And she her response is, call them whatever names you like because they use non-traditional grandparent names. I don't remember what they are. Your parents are still old and smell like urine. Yeah. And then her mom's like, could you help me fix da-da-da for supper? I don't remember what she says. Yeah. The teenage daughter storms off into the kitchen and then stuff starts flying through the house. Books, yep. stuff off the wall, cabbage out of the fridge. It's fairly obvious that the teenage girl is the center of this activity because she's got psychical power. Yeah, and while everything is flying, Luke is standing there calmly. He gets a call from Augie, who just kind of tells him that the Donovan house... It hasn't existed for as long as it says it's existed. Yeah, he mentions what Phil found, he mentions what he found. He literally just tells Luke what we already said. It's just the scene, though, where Luke is explicitly calm and blase to things flying around. He casually dusks a whiskey glass. Yep, and he turns to Susan, he's like, hey, you got this, right? I gotta go look at the Donovan house. And leaves her to handle the psychic powers of a teenage girl by herself. I mean, we don't know that they're psychic yet we literally do if you have half a brain yeah no it's already in my notes i was like wow she has psychic powers okay so then roman shows up megan donovan's because he has important information about the house for her and that important information is hey even though your house is over 100 years old there's no records of it from from before 1987 which honestly at this point justice and i were like how cool would it be if this is like a nowhere house or a house that just appears and disappears yeah and like how cool would that be as a first episode idea it's not that's not what this is i mean it still could be one of those houses Anyways, whenever told, Roman ends up convincing Megan to let his team run some tests on the house. Yep. So they can figure out what's going on. And then we kind of just cut to Luke at a batting cage and Susan showing up to interrogate him about his past. Well, before that, August and Phil show up to the house to start their investigation and August speaks in his first non-quote. And then we cut to the batting cages. Yeah. I just thought it was important to note that August spoke in his first non-quote. Because even though he did call Roman, we don't hear his side of the conversation. So it's, it's yeah. entirely plausible up until this moment that he still just spoke in quotes. True, true. Yeah, anyway, Susan finds Luke Roman at a batting cage Mm -hmm. at a place called like Fun Island or something. Funland, I believe. Funland, yeah. And he tells her that the business is mostly about solving unfinished business for spirits and hanger-ons and what have you. Yeah. And she's like, okay, but if we're going to work together, you have to trust me and da-da-da-da-da-da. You got to tell me more about yourself. And he's like, well, I grew up in Southern California. I went to UC Santa Barbara. And I've had a hell of a career as a real estate agent. She's like, And I've continued to talk to my dad after he died. Yeah. And then he gives her run of the Lenore house. She's now in charge of that property real estate. Yep. So then we cut to August and Phil investigating the Donovan house. And apparently there's just been a locked door in the basement this entire time. Yeah, they're asking about the layout and she's focusing on everything else. And then I think it's Augie asks, what about the basement? She's like, oh, I don't go down there. There's just a bunch of boxes and there's a locked door and I don't really like it. It's kind of creepy. And she's like, you know what they're, why they're here, right? Why do you not immediately start with, well, you know, there's this creepy basement. I don't go in it because it creeps me out. There's a locked door at the end. So they start heading down to the basement and they hear growling noises coming from downstairs. Mm Mm-hmm. And August is like, or it's Phil, he's like, you know, you wouldn't happen to have like a dog or a cat or a really large rodent or anything. Maybe a goldfish. Yeah. Which is a little bit of a funny bit because obviously it can't be a goldfish. Goldfish don't growl like that. Unless it's a magical evil goldfish. You don't fucking know. Anyways, August has his special glasses on. And while Phil is going down the stairs to like investigate the basement, August turns with his special glasses with his special eyes and sees a woman on the staircase holding a knife. Mm. With a with a bloody dress. Honestly, it looked more like a sleeping gown from like the mid to late 1800s. Okay, look, I'm going to sit here and argue that a sleeping gown is technically a dress. Yeah, yeah, no, I was just clarifying because it does date the spirit in the house, the house that hasn't been here except from 1987 onwards. Yes. 
And while we he'll hear Phil kind of just cautiously going down the steps, and we occasionally cut to him with like a flashlight walking down, August asks Megan if anyone has violently died in this house or anything, or maybe her grandfather died violently. She's like, No, he died no, in hospital. He died care. in an extended care facility. Yeah, an extended care facility. And he's like, Yeah, okay, sure, that makes sense. That no one's ever okay, sure. Yeah. So when Phil gets down in the basement, a big black dog with glowing red eyes chases him, and a maw covered in dried blood. Yeah, runs up the stairs, slams the door, and then we cut to Phil and Roman at the Roman agency, and Phil is briefing him about the Donovan house, showing him pictures of the hellhound thing, talking about how nobody's died in the house, da 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 I mean, now you're the one skipping things. Oh, am I? Susan went to the hospital because Herb Lenore got hit in the head with a stone clock. Mm. Yeah, we literally just cut there to hear that he got hit in the head. Rita tries to tell Susan that they'll get sued and lose her license, and she tells Rita to shut up, and then she asks... I'm pretty sure that happens after nope. Phil briefs Roman. Whatever. Doesn't matter. So then we got to Megan. Uh, but actually, well, we, now that you bring it up, Rita was threatening to sue them. Yeah, she, well, she wasn't specifically threatening to sue them, but she said that the Roman company was going to get sued and that Susan would lose her license. But for what? What are they going to get sued for? They weren't at the property. Rita is still the main seller for the house. So if it's because of something to do with the real estate agency, Rita's still the one in charge of the house. Mm-hmm. Then we get to Megan, who is home alone, and her fiancé is running really, really late. He was supposed yeah. to be home at 8, it's now 9-11, and he's not answering her phone calls. So she's drinking, and, then and after she's been her, thinking. Then after her last call to him, a figure in like a white surgical outfit walks past her in the hallway behind her. She doesn't see this. We do. Ooh, mm-hmm. spooky. Then we're back to the hospital, where Herb, Mr. Lenore, and his wife are explaining everything to Susan about mm-hmm. what happened and how Herb got hit in the face with a clock. Yeah, and how this happened shortly after their daughter got home got home late and her parents scolded her for it. Mm-hmm. So she goes to find the daughter. Who is in the waiting room talking to a boy on the cell phone. Mm-hmm. And she's getting frustrated because there's a crying baby. And she turns her back to the crying baby and while she's being frustrated, a little doll levitates off the floor into the crib with the baby. And the baby shuts up. Also, why is there a baby in a crib by itself in an empty waiting room other than this teenage girl? I have no clue. I have to assume there's an irresponsible parent just somewhere here. Also, what type of waiting rooms, other than like in childcare facilities, specifically childcare areas, just have the person could have cribs? Blocked. Well, it was one of those pop-up crib playpen things. Yeah, you could tell it was the like plastic ones that you can like pull down and put inside of a bag, like a lawn chair. So someone may have just brought it with them, set it up, and left their kid in the fucking waiting room. So Susan sees this happen, and then we cut to Megan again, and she's in her bedroom watching TV and changing channels, and every time she changes the channel, she sees a bunch of surgeons around an operating table in an operating theater. An old operating theater. And the lead surgeon's got a crazy smile and, like, weird makeup. Yeah, and the makeup's gonna make him have, like, sunken eyes and pale skin. And then she she changes it again, and it's her on the table instead of the person in, like, the scene. Uh, no. No? No, no, no. She gets scared and slash frustrated, turns off the television, flops back on the bed she's been sitting on to watch, and when she fully lands back on her bed, she's now the one on the operating table. Ah, uh, yes. It was actually a pretty good transition that I enjoyed there. And then she freaks out and runs out of the operating theater slash- After they cut on her a bit. Areas in her house, I don't know. I guess her house has an operating theater now. Yep. And she runs out of the house outside, but manages to stop and grab like four bottles of wine. Doesn't everyone? So anyways, Luke arrives then. Yep. Um, I guess she also stopped to grab her cell phone and or call him from a house phone. Yeah. And he arrives and takes her back to his place. After saying he will take her to a hotel, 
Nothing happens. It's nothing untoward. Also, he, I don't think she called him because he shows up right outside of her house as she's like running out. Mm-mm. Fairly certain. She's she's sitting there on the front step drinking a bottle of wine. Oh yeah, yeah. She's still on her property, which is why I thought she was running and out. She's cause... soaking wet when he arrives. Yeah, so yeah. She's been outside for a little bit. I just I don't understand why she would still be on her property. Never mind. That's what threw me off. Yeah, continue. Yeah. So as he takes her to leave, he looks back up at the house and sees a whole bunch of like figures pressed against all the windows. Yeah. In the morning, Megan still has a cut on her chest from when the psycho doctor tried to cut her open. Yeah. And implying that it wasn't just a dream or hallucinating. Yeah. And then Luke tells Megan that, you know, he's had his eye on that house for a while now. Ever since a woman disappeared in the house a year ago. She moved in. Oh, actually, no, not a year ago. Something like four years ago, three years before her grandfather bought the house. Yeah, it was before her grandfather bought the house. A woman moved in next door and the place was all overgrown because no one was living in it. But she didn't know that, obviously. She just moved in. So So she she went over to complain and and someone opened the door. And then she went in the house and was never seen again. Yeah. And that was Luke's mother who who ran away from him when he was a child. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then Luke notices that Megan's drinking wine at like nine in the morning. And he's like, that's bitterly starting. She's like, I never stopped. So technically, it's still last night. She has a brilliant outlook on drinking. It's not binge drinking if you never stop. Yeah. Then he's like, this bottle is a hella expensive, high class white wine. What are you doing just like drinking this in the morning by itself? And she's like, oh, my grandfather was a bit of a wino. Like he was even putting in a wine cellar downstairs before he got sick. So before he developed dementia. Yep. Oh, and uh, the most horrifying thing in this entire episode, she dunks a Pop-Tart in her white wine. No, it's red wine. She's drinking a red wine. The white wine bottle's not opened yet. That's even worse. Yeah, probably. But I don't know why it offends you so much. It's the most horrific thing in this horror show. Anyways, back at the hospital, Susan approaches the teenage Lenore daughter. I don't remember her name. Lauren. Lauren Lenore. And she's like, hey, I know you have psychic powers and whatnot, but you can't just go using them to beat people up with clocks. Get that shit under control. This entire conversation, though, Susan's much more understanding and nice, but I don't care enough to take notes on pleasantries. She tells the girl to get her powers And she's like, I know whatever this boy that you're talking to has you all worked up, but he's an opening act. Like, my chemical romance. For opening up Franklin Park. You gotta save yourself for the headliners, like Lincoln Park. So the girl doesn't recognize the bands, which apparently hurt Josh's soul because he's old. I'm not old. He's also old. everybody knows who My Chemical Romance is. That's still a relevant band name. And I'm just confused as to why Susan has the bands backward of who would be headlining over the other here. I don't. This would be a co-headlining tour, right? Like not nowadays. MCR would definitely be headlining over Lincoln Park. Yeah, but like at their at like Black Parade. When, when My Chemical Romance was the biggest day they were ever, except when they had that reunion tour for a brief hot yeah. second. When My Chemical Romance were like the hottest they were in their height of their career, this would have been a co-headlining tour. Mm. Because Lincoln Park would have been touring off of like Meteora. Uh, yeah, it would have been off like a Meteora area. Huh. Or um, Minutes to Midnight. Yeah. Like, yeah. Th- Lincoln Park was the biggest they, were, they ever were at this point. They were like doing collab albums with Jay-Z and shit. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Gross. I forgot about that. But anyways, also, who the fuck doesn't know who My Chemical Romance is? I don't think I can. I know a single person on the face of the earth who couldn't sing "Teenagers" if you played the opening riffs. Yeah. So, anyways, though, Susan just like says Wa- it's fine. Walks off with Lauren down the hall and casually drops the fact that she's a pyrokinetic and can set stuff on fire with her brain. Well, yeah, because Lauren asks like if she ever like had to deal with this and from the way that lauren says it it seems she's mainly talking about the whole boy thing and susan's response is he was a bassist and i set some things on fire just casually drops the fact that she's a pyrokinetic 
Yeah, so um, clearly her boss renewed his vows with his wife. She got upset and set the office on fire. fire. And then got fired. Yeah. Anyways, at the Donovan house, Roman and Megan head into the basement and they take some raw pork chops with them to distract the hellhound. Because that's how you distract a hellhound. You give it raw pork chop. A singular raw pork chop the size of a hand. Something a dog could eat in like three seconds. Yeah, it was a very small pork chop. Yes, it was. It works, though. They distract it. It, it they does. Get inside. And they get in the locked room, and it turns out to be a, the wine cellar that her grandfather was working on, but and it's got like a well in the middle of the room. Yeah, a nice square well, which foggy. It, which has like a giant wooden board that, that's like open on it. I, I thought it was a giant metal like covering. Anyways, demonic arms reach out of the well, choke Megan until Roman manages to close after, it. After it whispers to her to draw her over, they ask her to join them in the well, whatever they are. Demonics, demonic well demonically whispers really long pale arm with pointy fingers and then demonically chokes her in a scene that like feels like it should be in the live action adaptation of ghost stories just the way the arms like out of the well like Like ghost if ghost stories had a live action adaptation this scene would be part of it akagami something other the hand thingy spirit yeah red paper blue paper thing yeah honestly all it makes me think anytime i see something like this ever now it makes me think of legends of Majora's mask because that hand will just reach up from the toilet in the inn it's a thing so yeah luke manages to close that he's like we want somebody to weld this shut and that should stop the demonic energy and and all the ghosts will go away and and then they remember there's a dog so they run out and close the door megan's like but what about the dog and luke's just like It'll go away when the demonic energy stops feeding it. It'll be fine. And that's that. Oh, actually, Luke and Megan are standing outside, and Megan's like, hey, what about your mom? And then Luke looks up at the, looks up in the air, and then we cut to Susan, closing and, the Lenore house. Yep. And she's like, how did you know I was telekinetic, by the way, Luke? He's like, I did research. How did you know I could set shit on fire with my mind? I did research. That's like 90% of this job. And that's the end of the episode. And Luke narrates over the end with a quote from uh, Rochefort called, I can never remember how to say his name, his quote about how true love and ghosts are essentially the same because everyone talks about it, but no one's seen it. And that's the end of the first episode. What do you think of the first episode? Well, I really liked the beginning. It started off really, really strong. And then it kind of felt like I was trying to do too much as the episode went on. But I really do just enjoy the general attitude of the Roman agency staff, besides Susan, obviously, since she's new. And I would say at like base level, the premise of the show sounds silly as fuck. Yeah, that's why it's called Surreal Estate. However, if you take even a second to fucking think about it, in a world where supernatural things actually exist, there have to be real estate agents who deal with fucking haunted houses. So you would have to assume some of them have actually developed a method to fucking deal with shit. So it's actually just not a horrible idea after you think about it for a second. And it was just generally enjoyable show. I would watch more of it. Yeah, so I'm pretty much on the same same page as you. Honestly, if the entire show had like the fill and character of the first 10 minutes, this would have been a 10 out of 10 pilot. As it was, it kind of felt like it was trying to do too much, got a little draggy, and makes me worry that the entire show is going to be a very like grindy thing to watch because of how much they try to put into one episode. But if it just had like that first 10 minutes, if that was the show, I think it would be something very special. As it is, I fear it will just be a good sci-fi show rather than like a legitimately good show. I get that, yeah. Well, that takes us to episode two, entitled The Harvey. Dent? Birdman. Also, episode two starts with an episode one recap, in case you missed episode one. What I will say here is go back and listen to the first 35 minutes of this episode, and then jump back to here to listen to episode two. Do make sure when you jump back, you don't jump back to the very beginning of the segment, in which case we will inform you to go listen to the first 35 minutes again. Do make sure you come back to us after the point where we tell you to watch that again, or you'll be stuck in an endless loop. And then then this episode of the podcast will be as grindy as the first episode of the show. So we start into the scene. Eight months ago. At number eight, Manderley Road. We see a house. It's nighttime. And but the, the house way- is all lit up. 
and you can hear people inside and a dog barking a family and then the windows start manually start closing themselves with nobody there to do it and we'll hear them locking and then the lights go out and people start freaking out because the power just first stopped. It, it's general confusion and then screaming and then a person slams against the front window but they don't go through it their hands and shirt covered in blood and then we pan out to the four cell sign that says roman agency on it and then the entire house blows up and this Roman agency sign is also on fire now. And then we get our 10 second intro, which should have been longer because its music is fucking good. And it's like got really good feel and vibe to it. And like yeah. if, if they'd made it a minute long intro instead of a 10 second intro or like even a 30 second intro, they could have like shaved plot out of the episode. So it wouldn't have to be so dense. Like God. present day, different house. Number 12, Marion Drive. Still a Roman agency at home. And there's some parents, they're walking upstairs to go to bed for the night when the dad hears his son talking to someone in his room. So the dad comes in, he's like, hey son, you winning? No, he's like, hey son, who are you talking to? Damn right I won't interact with your stupid internet joke. <laughs> You're the worst. Why Why won't you just like indulge internet humor? I don't find it funny. Yes, you do. Not most of it. I've heard you laugh at internet humor. Anyways, the son's like, I'm talking to Rory. Rory. Rory? Rory. It's his line. Too many R's with an O in the middle. And a Y somewhere in there. He's talking to a stuffed lion. And his dad's like, cool, neat thing, bud. Time to go to bed. Stop talking to the lion. Anyways, the dad leaves the room. And then there's a little girl sitting on bed with this child. And she's like, I don't like him. He's trying to make you leave me. And the, the little boy's like, you mean my dad? You don't like my dad? He's not making me leave because they don't like you or anything. My mom's getting a new job. We need to move. And then the little girl, whose name is Cindy, is like, but if you don't stay, I'm going to eat you. But when she does it to be cuter and less intimidating, she holds the line and makes this little pause move. And then she laughs. Yeah. I mean, look, in general, if somebody threatens to eat me, I'm not going to be scared of it. Unless I know for a fact you don't exist in a realm in which other people can see you and you seem to have strange powers... I'll probably be scared then. Yes. I don't care what type of entity, ghost, spirit, whatever thing you seem to be. If you have the power to just avoid detection from other people, yeah, I'm gonna be scared if you threaten to eat me or cause me any harm. I'm probably just gonna be like, ah, shit, I'm fucked. You got powers? I don't know the extent of those powers. Oh, shit. I gotta go buy some sage and lavender now and do a fucking exorcism. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're gonna have fun with this one. Woo. You know the quickest way to stop being my friend, ghost girl? Threaten Threatening me, me in any it. way, shape, or form. Yeah, so. We then cut to the Roman agency. Yep. And Susan is arriving to work that day, and she has a confrontation with Zoe. Yeah. Because she's like, we, we should use a new filing system thing that's always worked for me in the past. Well, at the- first she doesn't say anything about the filing oh. system. At first, it seems Zoe doesn't want the problem because oh, they yeah, kind of just bad. talk about coffee. My it's, bad. it's shit coffee. I was just skipping stuff. Yeah. And then we go to the meeting. Yeah. And it starts with Luke trying to prepare Susan for how they work. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't think we have Susan telling anyone else how to do their job yet. I think we go straight to the house after this initial little meeting. Yeah. Yes. It's not that. Yeah. Susan doesn't start to be an overbearing person till the next Roman agency meeting that's my bad yeah so luke and susan are on their way to this new house and luke is trying to prepare susan for how they work this is the quincy house by the way he hands her a file about the house and explains that people have pulled multiple offers from this house people have literally run screaming from this house which the main thing that's confusing the owners is they've never had any instances of any weird things happening up until they put the house on the market yep 
and we get to the house and it's the one we just saw with the little boy and the little girl spirit and that's the house that they're trying to sell and susan immediately commandeers this action mm-hmm. this interaction and to tell them how they have all these things to put the house on market get more people interested literally she undercuts her boss the person who runs the agency before he can even get a word in we also find out that the quincy's are presbyterian they don't believe in ghosts and spirits and shiz they don't believe in anything actually well they believe in god they're presbyterian yeah 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 but their words are we don't believe in anything we're presbyterian you know that was probably a joke that i just didn't catch anyways the name of the little boy being threatened by the ghost is jamie and he's being threatened and manipulated by this little girl ghost who is scaring off potential buyers yeah and so while susan is commandeering the sellers jamie walks out of his room to say something to his parents and then he sees luke and just stares at him and luke stares back mm-hmm. and they just stare at each other and then jamie leaves well, Luke introduces himself, and Jamie kind of, like, does respond. It's not till Susan, like, goes to introduce herself and, like, yeah. that he runs and shuts his door. And then from there, assuming this meeting is taking forever and going on, we are now outside with Jamie, mm-hmm. who is sitting on the swings, talking to Cindy. And she's just saying, you can't leave. We're family. I'm your only friend. You have to stay here with me. If you try to leave, I'll climb out that top window on the roof and then throw myself over. And I'll, it'll break all of my bones and blood will be leaking from my eyes and it'll be all your fault. And when she gets to the fault, her voice drops to like a more evilly tone. Yep. Let me come back to the Roman agency where they're talking about the Quincy house. And this is where Susan starts being overbearing. And telling everyone how to do their job. Yep. She's like, Phil, whenever you find anything, you need to like drop it in the Dropbox so everybody has access to it at the same time. And you need to make sure it's all organized and put into files in the Dropbox. And he's like, yeah, that's not really how I've done anything ever. Why yeah. would I do that now? Which honestly, that is the best suggestion she has with like out changing too much. Like honestly, they probably should have a system for Phil to like just. Maybe, but also at the same time, she's telling him that anything he finds needs to go in the Dropbox. Yeah, 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 like- yeah. Which that's that's too much. Maybe important information, but you know what else you can do with that important information? Because your team is literally five people. Text them. So have a group chat. On yeah, like, like Zoom or some shit. Literally, I'm saying that's probably her best suggestion, like her least invasive suggestion. Even then, it's not really necessary for the way they've operated. And then Augie. Yes, August is like I'm gonna have to stop by to do the PKT, the, the psychokinetic triage, and she's like, Yeah, but we have a plumber, plumber coming, coming in, in, and that's really urgent. And if we could just like not overload the Quincy's, it'd be really cool if we could just like set up some type of chart that shows where when everybody's gonna be arriving, so yeah. that we don't overlap and. She also essentially just says that August's portion of the job isn't important and to just push it back. And that it can be done at any time. Yeah, which um, we're talking about the man here who actively looks for, understands, and like ranks the level of the ghosts. So we have a malicious entity uh, possibly in this area. We should just send in everyday workers who are definitely prepping this house to sell, even though it seems like the spirit doesn't want the house to be sold. Yep. So let me go back to the Quincy house after Susan's effectively stepped on everybody's toes. She also tells Zoe exactly how she should manage the schedule and everything. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we cut to the Quincy house after Susan has effectively stepped on everybody's toes. Including her boss in that scene. Yep. And she's staging it for viewing and she starts to hear a little girl cry. And she goes mm-hmm. exploring and goes in Jamie's room and like looks in the closet because that's where the crying's coming from. And there's no little girl in the closet. But as soon as she turns around, Cindy's sitting on the bed. Yeah. Susan's like initially shocked and kind of scared. And Cindy's like, I can't go home. Not without my doll, Betsy. And Susan's like, where's your doll? And Cindy's like, upstairs in the attic. We hear a lot of things moving around and scratching up the stairs. Mm-hmm. So then Augustus calls her to tell her that he is on his way to do his PKT, if that's okay with her. And it doesn't like interfere with any of her shit. And he's being kind of facetious about it. Yeah. Because he doesn't actually care. And then she mentions the whole Cindy thing. And he's just like, have you told Luke yet? She's like, no. He's like, tell him. So then she calls Luke, 
And Luke says that they need to figure out what they're what they're dealing with, what this Cindy is. But he's currently on an errand right now, and she should tell Phil about Cindy, though, because Phil's job is research. So Yep. Luke's errand, by the way, turns out to be stopping at the Donovan house to take some pictures of it. Selfies. Mm-hmm. Because apparently uh, houses will do things when your back is turned. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Megan catches him. She jokes about it. But it's basically the entire scene at the end when he shows her they're still trying to sell the house. She says she won't miss the house, walks towards the house, and then he says under his breath, it won't be the house that I miss either. Yeah. And there was a joke earlier from Susan about him liking Megan. And Megan liking him. Yeah. Anyways, meanwhile, Susan is looking for this Betsy doll in the attic because she has no sense of when a creepy little kid spirit is a creepy little kid monster spirit thing. Okay, look, I don't want to stereotype here, but the little girl has braided ponytails and is wearing a gingham dress. Immediately evil. Yeah, I mean... That's how little girl spirits work. I mean, it, okay, so there's this rule on the internet that there's no such thing as women. That's mm-hmm. one of the rules of the internet, as prescribed by 4chan in the early yeah, 2000s. Yeah, yeah. I want to postulate that there's a rule of ghosts. There's no good ghosts? There's no little girl ghosts. They don't exist. They're all monsters, or demons, or something. If not that, I would argue at least any just child ghost in general that looks innocent or safe, evil. The ones that look terrifying and fucked up, those are the good ones. So, while she's in the attic, she's attacked by a large black bird. Possibly a crow, possibly a raven, who knows. And breaks a window. Yeah, a hat rack busts through the attic window and breaks it. Yeah, she panics and just... But after the bird, like, stops attacking her, she looks up and there's a figure standing there. She screams. And it's Augustus. Yeah, and she tries to explain the bird thing to him and he's like, that sounds like a raven. Nevermore. Yeah, and so then we're shortly back at... If we're getting the Nevermore jokes in this episode, why is this... The um, Quincy house. Why wasn't this little Nor house in the last house, the Quincy house? I don't know, man. This could also be the Usher house. Like, it, it could be a bunch of things. Um, I don't remember his fucking name. The main character from Casco Montalado could be, well, well, a Montalado. It could be the Montalado house. It could be his rival's house. It could be a bunch of things if we just want to name them for things because there's a raven, so it has to connect to Edgar Allan Poe. Well, but yeah, but Augustus quotes Nevermore. Yeah, yeah, I know. Which is why. But just because there was a raven in this episode that they wanted to include for some reason. I don't know, man. Anyways, at the office, Susan is helping Phil compile a composite. Of While she's being patched up by Zoe. Yep. And when they ask her why she was in the attic they all kind of laugh at her when she explains that she was in the attic looking for the doll for the little girl ghost yeah and she gets upset that they all kind of scoff at her and laugh at her and she made maybe if she listened to her boss roman then shows her the footage of the house that blew up eight months ago and explains how there was a spirit there who said it just wanted to see how a real family worked that it didn't pose any harm to them and then the four people that lived in that house were found in 11 separate pieces and the house was blown to bits as well yeah and he's and like even spirits that don't seem harmful can be incredibly dangerous yeah, and he eventually just tells her to do things that way until she actually has some fucking experience in dealing with ghosts. And then we cut to Miss Quincy arriving home from the grocery store, and she gets out of her car with a bag of groceries and looks up to see her son on the roof of their, like, two-and-a-half, three-story home. Yeah, and she's yelling at him to get down, and he's just like, I can't until she gets down. She's gonna jump. Yep, so this is a brief scene of tension. Then Roman arrives and talks to Jamie about this little girl and how he shouldn't do what she tells him to. Like, she's obviously trying to get him hurt or put him in danger yeah uh, initially though like luke shows up and he has a brief interaction with the father and mm-hmm. the guy's just like yells at him to like do his job and makes and seems to imply that his job is to stop creepy shit from happening stopping their kid from getting on the roof like and it's just like no because you don't believe in anything like you've hired me directly as a real estate agent um and also what's my job here isn't it your job as a parent to stop your child from yeah shouldn't you be you know watching your kid to make sure they don't climb on fucking roofs but yeah, Roman eventually convinces the child 
convinces Jamie to talk to him about the ghost. And after he does, Roman then tells Susan that until they figure out what whatever's going on with the Cindy ghost, there, there are to be no showings. Not mm-hmm. she, she shouldn't schedule any showings or anything. And this conversation happens in the attic. Where Luke has a guy patching up the window. Yep. And then Susan, uh, roughly immediately after Roman leaves, gets on the phone with somebody. Yeah, she gets a call from a prospective buyer. And he's like, I can't show the house. And the guy's like, cash? We can pay in cash. And she's like, it's not about compensation. And he's like, I'll pay you cash individually. And even more cash. And she's like, okay, 8 a.m. tomorrow. Don't tell anyone. They're in the scene where Luke was talking to Jamie, though, Luke, Jamie does mention to Luke that he doesn't particularly want to be friends with Cindy. Yeah. It's just that she told him if she's not his friend, then she has to hurt someone. Yeah. In the attic, though, after Susan gets off the phone, she notices the worker that Roman hired to patch the window out and seal it shut. Was whistling show tunes. Was whistling songs from a musical. They bond over the musical because she was in drama club when she was in high school and did a play and he's acting in community theater and stuff those aren't the same somebody doing community theater obviously has more passion for the thing than somebody who did yeah, yeah. a play in in high school but anyways they bond over that and then we cut to cindy confronting jamie and she's like you told him about me i have to punish you now if i don't punish you you're, you're never gonna learn i told you if you tell anyone, I'll have to hurt someone. And Jamie's parents are outside. His father has like one of those old rotating push mowers, like where it has like a set of six blades or it something. He is an electrically assisted one, though. Yeah. And then his mother has got this large pair of hedge clippers that she's clipping with. And as Cindy is telling Jamie that she has to hurt somebody to punish him because she can't hurt him. Mm-hmm. Cindy's mother, sorry, Jamie's mother turns to face Jamie's father. And is just slowly walking towards him, opening and closing the shears for some reason. And Jamie's father is coming at her with the push mower. Mm-hmm. And she's like wearing flip flops. So like if that push mower hits her feet. Oh yeah, she is clearly going to be the one that gets fucked up here when they hit not him. Because if you're looking to do damage with the shears, you should just leave them open or close them. Pick one. And then while Jamie's essentially distracted. Begging for Cindy to stop. She picks up his hamster. He notices. And then she crushes his hamster to death. Yeah. And she's like, see, you learned something today. And as he kneels down to pick up his dead hamster. She smiles and licks the blood from her hand. Yep. Susan then decides to show the house the next morning to a man named Mike and his wife. Uh, Mike is the guy from the phone call from the previous yeah, scene. Yeah. And she uh, she she fails to sell them the house because Cindy does ghosty things. Mm-hmm. So the sellers tear the fuck out of there in their car. And as they leave, Roman pulls up and he's like, hey. What the fuck? The fuck did I tell you? Get in this car. We're going to have a conversation. Doesn't say that, but that's what happens. Yep. After he basically scolds Susan for like not listening to him or following their work instructions, Roman goes in the house to confront Cindy and he basically tells her, I don't buy your lonely little girl routine. Whatever the fuck you are, you're not a little girl. And then Cindy's face turns all gray and demonic and she screams at him. And he's challenging the ghost and getting close to getting more information about the ghost from itself. When when Susan walks in. Mm -hmm. And he yells at her to get out. He's working. So she closes the door and he turns around, but Cindy's gone. Yep. We then cut to Susan at her mom's house. Complaining that all the kids are mean to me at my job. Yeah. And her mom's like, well, maybe it's because you always think you know best. And her mom's literally like, did you tell them how they were supposed to do things? Did they not fall in line immediately? Do you think your way is perfect? And she's like, my way is not perfect. It's just better than everybody else's way. And she's like, oh, I stood out loud, didn't I? And her mom's like, yeah, maybe you should, you know, connect with people. Yeah. And then maybe suggest changes. Yeah. Maybe you're being a cunt. Do you ever think of that? I very much appreciate here that her mom does not validate her inappropriate behavior. And she's like, 
You're a fucking adult. So, Act like one. Then Roman and Augustus are in some small room. I don't know where. We also learned that her mother knew about her inappropriate relationship with her previous boss. Yes. Um, and then Roman and Augustus are in a small room somewhere. It seems like they're in the agency because. Yeah. It just was like a tech Ro- office. Roman's like working late, are we? But like it doesn't look like anything we've seen in the office so far. I have to assume it is Augustus's area of the building because we've really just seen like. Yeah, that's fair. Two real estate offices, by which I mean Luke's office. We and see Susan's office at the, the end. The meeting room. We've seen the meeting room, and we've seen the break area by the coffee maker. And we've seen the like, entrance foyer. Entrance foyer with the elevator bank. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and then Roman's talking to Augustus. He's like, "We need some type of containment device to, mm-hmm. to like capture this." We did fail to mention earlier that they mentioned what a Harvey is. We talked about what a Harvey and what a Lassie are. Oh yeah, yeah. So a lassie is a spirit that's not necessarily a human spirit, but it attaches yeah. itself to a family and gets very protective of that family and like tries to help them out. But a lassie spirit could face like separation anxiety if a family was to move away and could cause stuff like this to happen. Whereas a Harvey spirit is the spirit of like... It's a reference to... I don't remember what movie mm. that they talk about. It's literally just like an imaginary friend that a kid has in that movie, I believe, but it's actually a ghost, but it's not necessarily evil. It's just sometimes prankish because it's a kid yeah it's a relatively benign spirit yeah this is the ghost in this built in this house in the quincy house is neither a harvey or a lassie i don't know why this episode's called the harvey no idea but here we learn that this spirit is when it does the whole demonic face thing it spikes its energy and it's such a strong entity that they need to contain it in some way we get a lot of ghosty buzzwords that we don't know but are clearly a thing they use in the real estate ghost game mm-hmm. and roman basically tells augustus to whip up this containment device in like a sleek container that way they can deal with this lrg we don't learn what an lrg is here but it is what they've determined this ghost to be yep susan we cut to the next day and susan shows up to the agency and she somehow has everybody's perfect coffee order yeah and she starts making compromises and like working towards being a better person with them mm-hmm. and in her conversation with luke she says that she could probably do the job better if he told her more about things and like explain the slangs. She asks what an LRG is. You're skipping some stuff that might be important in the future. Because when she gives the coffee to Phil, it's a black coffee. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about his husband. And the contractor from the Quincy house comes in and she makes a joke to him about show tunes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the contractor sings a bit of a thing and then kisses Phil. And we find out that Phil is gay. That's why he's probably not a priest anymore. Well, he did call himself a fallen priest mm-hmm. when we first meet him. Yep yeah and that's all that and then we get to luke and she's like what's that lrg explain the terms and stuff to me and luke explains that an lrg is a um little red's grandma a little red's granny yeah Uh, a spirit that disguises itself under the mask of being an innocent like thing that that way it can then eat yep and he's like unfortunately we were fired before we could deal with the lrg living in the quincy house because essentially because of you it's your fault susan you suck but he's like it's fine like i told you last time we get fired like every time they yep. rehire us, though. It's good. And he's like, so if you really want to help, you can come with me, even though we were fired, and help me handle the LRG. She's like, what do you want me to do? And he's like, you got to talk to the parents so they don't call the cops. Yeah. So they get their parents recount, yell at them, tell them they're going to call the cops. She stops them, talks to them. Yeah. So Susan then stops the parents and she's like, look, I don't believe in ghosts either. I also my, don't. My boss is kind of insane dumb. and crazy. And like, but what he's trying to do is help you sell this yeah. house and like help resolve these issues. That's what that's all he's trying to do. And meanwhile, Luke is upstairs. He has set up a chessboard. And he's needling and pressuring 
screen, Cindy. He's calling Cindy dumb, saying that Cindy only likes to play children's games because Cindy can only win at children's games. She's too stupid to play real games. So Cindy appears and he baits Cindy into vaguely playing chess. And continually calls her stupid and like pushes gets, her buttons until mm-hmm. she eventually transforms into a dark demonic entity, which is like a middle-aged woman in really bad like stage makeup. But isn't it a woman? I thought it was supposed to be like a man with like... Oh, anyway, it's like a, a goblin or some shit. Yeah. And it throws him against the wall and then he manages to, to activate Augustus's device via his cell phone. And we get some like, you know, those electrostatic things where like it makes like electric arcs out of it as a kid's toy. That's essentially what Augustus's device for capturing or destroying these ghosts are. Because we find out it destroys them at the atomic level. Um, yeah, that's essentially what this thing, this device is. It destroys Cindy and that's the end of the ghost. But anyways, back at the office, Susan is taking calls and offers for the Quincy house. They sell it. Yay. Bada bing, bada boom. That's the end of that, that house. They're done with it. So Roman and Susan are talking in Roman's office at the end of the cell. And he's like, what are you doing tonight? She's like, I got dinner with my mom. And he's like, oh, that sounds nice. She's like, you could come if you want because she has an impossible time not hitting on her boss. Yeah. She's like, my mom would like to meet you. And he's like, nope. Family time is important. I learned that after my dad died. Yep, and then we get a montage of, like, Susan with her mom and Phil laying on a couch reading a book and Zoe and Augustus playing games in the conference room. Yep. Like, playing video games on a split screen. And then we settle on Luke and he's playing putt-putt and his dad shows up. And we get a swerve about what the conversation is about initially because his dad's complaining about angels and how he's never liked them. Yeah, and he's talking about the the Los Angeles Angels, mm-hmm. which used to be the Anaheim Angels. Yeah, something like that. And his dad's just kind of complaining about it. And they're talking sports. They're mainly just chatting. You know, it's weird because obviously the show probably takes place in California because yeah. that's where Luke went to school. That's where he like grew up. And they're talking about the Anaheim Angels, which are now the Los Angeles Angels as of 2004. Um, but Luke references a New York Supreme Court case, like which yeah. would have no bearing in California. Unless it's not a precedent that other cases then went off of. Yeah, anyways, you're right. There's a swerve where he's talking about the Angels, and it ends up being the basketball team, the baseball team. Baseball, put Yeah, baseball team. And they kind of just talk like that for a while, and then his dad mentions Susan and how she seemed pretty nice. And He's like, oh, you saw her? And he's like, yeah, when she came to see you when you are at the batting cage, he's like, ah, well, she's just a co-worker. And he, his dad's like, who knows? She'll be more. You've had bad luck with women. And then his son's just like, yeah, you, you're one to talk. Remember how um mom fucking left you? And they kind of just talk and joke. And then dad vanishes. And Luke's like, all right, night, dad. And power and like starts shutting down all of the lights to this pup-pup course that also has the batting cage area on it. And he opens an electrical box attached to a pole that he just somehow has access to. Yep. That, that's the end of that episode. So what do you think of episode two? Episode two, I think, is a bit better at knowing what it wants to do in the episode. I think episode one was kind of bogged down by the fact that it was episode one. And it was like, we have to get all this out of there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, even after episode two, I would definitely continue to watch more of the show. I think episode one tried to do too much. Like, there's no reason why we had two different houses... We didn't need the Lenore case in episode one. We didn't need to establish that Susan was pyrokinetic slash telekinetic in episode one. They could have built to that as like a reveal. Yeah, we didn't know. We need to know right away that, hey, that fire at her workplace was because she got upset that her boss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think episode one was just too bogged down and trying to like introduce all these facets that it didn't need to introduce. So I agree with you on that. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting your, your time. I don't know. I was done. Oh, you were done. Oh, yeah. I feel very similar. Episode two was better. I still don't think it's like... It's so, nothing so, great, but I mean, it's pretty decent for a sci-fi show. Across the two episodes, it's like, what, an hour and a half of television yeah. sans commercials? I don't think any of that hour and a half was as good as the first 10 minutes. 
Agreed. Like that first 10 minutes had charm, had like the style and panache to it where like he wasn't like talking about ghosts. He was just talking about stigmatized properties. Mm -hmm. Like it had, it had like humor in it. Like it felt good. And then the rest of the show just kind of felt as generic. Yeah. At best, it's a good sci-fi show. Mm -hmm. Which I mean, a good sci-fi show is still, I guess, a, a mediocre show on any other network. Yeah. Yeah. Got anything else? No, not at all. I'm literally at the point where I, I, I don't know how we start closing this episode out. Well, typically, we inform people that they can contact us a myriad of different ways. Namely, they can reach us on Twitter at CopilotsReview. They can email us at CopilotsReview at gmail.com. Or they can find our website at CopilotsReview.Simplecast.com, which has links to our Discord, Twitter, YouTube, and email. Yes. And then we generally tell them to sometimes, I guess, when we feel like it, tell them, hey, they should leave a review or whatever, right? Yeah, we read those if they leave them. We don't have any new ones to read, so maybe you should um, leave some five-star reviews so we can read them. Yeah, please log in soon.